So, let's go to uh, chapter 12 and verse 20. If you think it's you, you know, I don't do this from notes. This is just storytelling. And I've been in three states and I don't know how many other places. In, in the last week, oh, given a ton of talks and my brain is gone. Um, John 12, 20. There were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. Let's stop. Um, Greeks is a generic term for non-Jews. Any non-Jew. A Gentile, we would normally say. How could a Gentile go worship? They were convert. They were converts to Judaism. And um, one of the most famous converts to Judaism, Caleb in Scripture. One of the only two spies that came back saying God can do this was not a Jew. He was a, a, con a convert to the Jews. So they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with the request, Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Jesus replied, and this is to Philip and Andrew, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, and anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Therefore, whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. We'll stop just for a moment. Can you imagine how hard this was for Jesus to break through these men? And the women that were there as well that supported and financed and took care of these guys. They really believed that the end of all bad things had come. Now Jesus is here. The Messiah is here. We will have our kingdom back. We will be restored. Everything will be lovely. And he's going to have to take away all of those dreams and say, no. Sorry, this is not going to happen. They're going to go through grief because there are deaths of dreams here. And what are the stages of going through grief? And there, you can do Doug Sanders. You can do whatever. Kubler-Ross is the most best known, right? When you, when you have the denial and anger and bargaining, and, and finally you end up with, with acceptance, you know, depression and acceptance. And by the way, just in case you're going through grief or anticipating it with the loss of a parent or someone, be aware that you don't go through this and come out the other end, Gen the same person. Generally, you pinball in here for a while. It generally takes two years to actually process a loss like this, and you are never the same after. You have, not, you have learned to adjust after two years. That's one of the reasons why we, as ministers, we also do this. We highly advise to widows and the like, make no big decisions for those first two years. Don't sell. Don't move. Unless, you know, there are always, you know, if your kids want you to move in with them, that might be all right. But be very careful about new decisions. It's difficult. They're in grief. And then he says, if I die, and so he's, he's doing it rather um, obliquely. If a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it only remains a single seed. Think about this. Have you ever planted corn? You ever had a little garden patch, right? You put, it, put a seed of corn down, stalk grows up. And they're getting higher and higher because they're, they're working with new and new seeds. You remember the corn used to be about like this, and now it's way up. And you pull an ear of corn off and you shuck it. You pull the, the cow, and what is it? Rows of seeds. That's what it is. 
Um, we, if, you, if they're hardened, you can, you, if it dies, it can then be put into the ground and live again. If you eat it while it's living, it's gone. One seed producing many. And Jesus is saying, I'm just the first. Many will come. You will be part of it, but I have to die. It's just like a seed. He's using a metaphor. And then he uses something which I've tried to keep in my mind in my life. If you love your life, you'll lose it. But if you hate your life in this world, you'll keep it for eternal life. Now, that does not mean I hate my life. I'm not 14. That's a teenage lament. Right? I'm, no. What it means, and the word hate is such a difficult word to translate here. It means you're willing to let it go. It's not the thing you're going to be defending. You're going to be defending something else. You have a preference. My father right now hates his life because he has uh, early on, not, I'm sorry, he's in the early stages of Alzheimer's, about to move to the second stage. I believe he now has Parkinson's. Uh, I was up there last week, uh, down there last week, talking to them. Notice the tremors and some of the things he was seeing that weren't there, and that's a Parkinson's thing. He can barely hear. It's going quickly. His eyesight is gone. He's stuck in a chair. He hates his life right now, right? But there are other times in my life, even um, you know, if back, back in the day when I was younger and healthy and the like, that I would even say, it's hard down here. It's tough. Have you ever told God it's hard? You need to. You need to. It's part of my prayers. I'll look at him and say, God, I want you to remember, this is brutal. This is awful. You hug somebody at church and you get the flu. Yeah, yeah. Find them, Father. Smite them. Um, you, uh, you, you just go get groceries and somebody shoots you. You're just driving and somebody T-bones you. This is scary down here. You have to be willing to live for something bigger than yourself. Here's an example of somebody who hates his life in this sense. Police officer. Because they are willing to trade safety of their life for something larger than them. If you've got a dog, a lot of your dogs hate their life in this sense. There's no emotional anger toward their life, but they are willing to die for you. Got a cat, you're on your own. If you die and they don't find out for a while, it'll snack on you. It's a whole different situation. Whoever serves me must follow me. What is the word for somebody who follows another? Disciple. Alexander Campbell lost that argument. He, he fought it all of his life. He did not want us to be called Church of Christ. He did not want us to be called the Christian Church because he felt like that was a brand name. He felt Church of Christ, it means all believers everywhere. He wanted us to be called the disciples, the followers. There was another reason that uh, he liked that name, and that is because followers never arrive. If you put, we are the Church of Christ or we are the Christian Church, it indicates that you have arrived and now you are maintaining your position. Whereas disciples are always learning. But he lost that argument. Uh, and most people called us either Christian Church or Churches of Christ. And then uh, if you go back and listen to that lesson on how we got here, you find that a group, there were two splits, major splits. One called themselves Disciples of Christ. Uh, and they're still out there. They are, they're, they're not very much like us, but we do have Disciples of Christ in our congregation. 
who feel very much at home with us, and we, we love having them here. Whoever serves me must follow me. And I love that because it doesn't mean get where I am, just keep moving. Where I am, my servant will also be. My father will honor the one who serves me. So be willing to live for something bigger than yourself. Lower your own love of your own life. Then serve, or the follow, then serve. So it's a progression. First of all, you have to make the decision. Many churches uh, get this wrong. Their big push is baptism. Once you're baptized, you're, it's pretty much put on um, cruise control. You're, you're, just stay here and do what you've been doing now. In Scripture, baptism is the first thing. Uh, and now I'm saying that, but I'm also wrong saying that. Because in Matthew, Jesus says, make them disciples, baptize them, then teach them everything. And so let's not get dogmatic about this. But as a rule with Jesus, it was once you make your commitment, then you sharpen the way you follow. And it is demonstrated that you are following Jesus by the way you serve him. How do you serve him? It's not by singing and taking communion. When I was a boy, I was pretty sure that's what it was. And preachers tended to reinforce that concept. No, 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 no. Read Matthew at the judgment scene. You serve Jesus by serving others, feeding them, giving them clothes, visiting them when they're sick, that sort of thing. My soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. I like it that Jesus said, my soul is troubled. I like it that Isaiah called him a man of sorrows, well acquainted with our grief. That's why when I tell God, it's really hard down here, I say, you can ask Jesus. <laughs> it was rough. And it was rougher on Jesus than me, not just because of the crucifixion, but because he didn't, he didn't have medicine. He didn't have a comfy bed. He didn't have an ice recliner. Well, I like my recliner. I do. It's, it's really worn out. I need a new one, but there will be much, you know, we'll probably do a funeral, you know, funeral pyre, a burning, a, a Viking funeral maybe. The, um, he didn't have any like that. He couldn't get ice cream. Now think about that. A life without ice cream. Is it worth living? I don't think so. When Bluebell went down and off the market for a while, I wore black for three months, but I, I'm back. I'm back now. I stayed in anger, though. I didn't move forward. I stayed right in anger. Um, and, and I didn't care if it salmonella flavored. I want Bluebell. Uh, I'm fine with this. The, uh, now it's back and all things are good. It was hard on Jesus also because he didn't have the comfort of a spouse. You know, Cammy is the one I, uh, I talk to when I talk. Uh, Jeff told me about him asking, asking questions of you today about the way I talk and humor and the like. And he said, is he this funny at home? And she said, no. She's right. I don't talk much. She doesn't talk much. It's, if I'm talking, I'm working. I'm an introvert. I like to think. And so I don't talk unless I'm working. That's why when people say, come on over. You're not gonna, it, we're just going to have food and you don't have to work. Yeah, I do. Because you're there. <laughs> but knowing I'm in a favorite place in the world, and I've been a lot of places. I haven't been all that I want to go, but I've been a lot of places. My favorite place is two feet inside my door. 
because that's where she is. And that, uh, Jesus didn't have that. So when we say, does Jesus care, he knows exactly what we're going through. Father, glorify your name, he said. Look what he just did. He hated his own life in that sense. Again, I, I really wish we had a better translation of this, but I will confess I don't know a better translation of this phrase, something that will get across the Semitic way of thinking. He said, I will not live for me or, or love my life too much. Father, glorify thy name. And God's voice broke in from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus said the voice was for your benefit, not mine. What does, what does that mean? Jesus knew his father listened. That's where Jesus' faith is something which is instructive to me. Have you ever felt like you're not being heard? Now, James, the book of James, I like to call that the cosmic dentist because you will get hurt eventually if you're in James. Uh, he'll give you some reasons why some prayers aren't heard. Some because they're asked in doubt. Some because they're asked out of selfishness or asked as a part of an ongoing fight. God's not interested in doing that. So we have to be, you know, the old, um, um, I think Bobby Bear actually wrote it, but um, Janis Joplin made it famous, the, oh, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? I don't think that's going to work. That's, um, that's not what he's here for. But Jesus knew he was heard. And he goes, now is a time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of the world will be driven out. What's the judgment? Here's the judgment. Until Jesus lived, we could look at God. We could. Paul will bring this up too. We could look at God and say, your laws are impossible. There's not a single human who's ever been able to pull this off. Didn't Paul say that? Yeah, he did several times. We, had, we, we would have the evidence in front of us of our life and all of human history and say, God, you put all these rules on us. You tell us all these ways to behave. And yet in all of history, not a single person could keep this. That would indicate, God, there's something wrong with your laws. And then Jesus came and kept them. Now he's about to leave. Therefore, he will be, be born, live, be active, and die without sin. And that shows it could have been done. We didn't do it. Do you see how judgment then comes on the world? Because we failed and blamed God for it. Paul brings that up as well. But verse 32 is something which Cammie will tell you has haunted me for almost 20 years now. He says, when I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Have all people come to Jesus? This is not hard. No. <sighs> Two options. If, if there's a third option, please bring it up. I'm not being sarcastic. There are, there are times I miss options, all right? So if your mind has picked up another one, you let me know. Two options. One, Jesus was in error. I don't go there. The other, what we've been lifting up has not been Jesus. We've been lifting up my church, my way, my songs, the way it makes me comfortable. You get the idea. We've been lifting up something other than him. 
that has made me shudder in the middle of the night. I've woken up in sweats about this because, because frankly, I spent the first half of my life lifting up anything but Jesus. In my faith, I lifted up a system, not Jesus. And I caused damage. I hurt people because I drew people away from Jesus in my attempt to win them to a system. Uh, and I will never get over that because they won't. It's not like they're going to say, oh, he's changed. Isn't that nice? No. No, I, I hurt people. That still haunts me. I know God's forgiven me. The devil likes to remind me, and I get that. I, I get that. But the point is this. I want to spend the rest of my life just lifting up Jesus. That's why I like to do Jesus story classes. When I go places, I always ask, can I just do Jesus stories? Most of the time they'll say, no, we really need you to. Okay. He showed, said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. So let's back up a little bit. I think it has a double meaning. I do believe that it means I'll draw all men to me. But the way he was going to die, how's that going to draw? Oh, man, there's 15 sermons here. I am not a believer that God wants to put anybody in hell. I have a very well-developed theology of hell over the last 10 years, and I've been asked to teach it, and I'm kind of holding back for a little bit, but I will. I will here soon. I'm not a universalist, but I'm so close because God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. There's a word there, repentance. They're not going to all do that. But then Titus, we're told, the grace of God has appeared unto all men. God wants all people saved. When I was a boy, it, it, it was really indicated he didn't. He just wanted the good ones. Did you ever get that impression? What's hell for? The Bible says hell is for the, angel, the devil and his angels. It doesn't say it's for you. I had a friend in Rochester, Michigan, where we were for 10 years, wonderful, wonderful church. And they said they were just so concerned about hell. They came in three or four different times with questions on hell. And I finally looked at him and I said, don't be concerned about hell. He looked at me and he says, why not? And I said, because I have no intention of letting you go. I'm going to talk to you about grace. Why is it so hard to accept the grace of God? It is so, isn't it? except for those that think they deserve it, then it wouldn't be grace. Oh, my. The crowd spoke up. We've heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? So they understood this was a death phrase. Jesus told them, you're going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Have you ever been truly in a dark place? Not emotionally. I'm talking about physically in a dark place. It is, it's dark. <laughs> We're so used to, like in, on a movie, it's in the middle of the night and they're having a battle. We see everything. You don't see anything. Um, I, I truly believe that hotels are to show us how to run into things in the dark. It has gotten, however, now that hotels will even have two or three things that shine in a light. 
you know, through the microwave, through the clock radio, through, uh, and that gives you enough ambient light. When it's really dark, it's amazing. I was up in Mena, Wisconsin. It was in Wisconsin um, two years ago, I think it was. And after my talk, it was out in a cabin. cabin. Some of them were camping in Wisconsin. They don't own a globe or a weather app. I had a hotel a few miles away. Walked out to find my truck. It was dark. You couldn't, I ran into stuff for the longest, thinking, I've got a flashlight, but it's in the truck. <laughs> now, we can use phones, but it's in the truck. So I also keep my umbrella so it stays dry during rainstorms. People without Jesus are in the dark. Theologians used to say, that the time before Abraham was the starlight time. Sometimes I'll push that through all the way to Moses. Moses to Jesus was moonlight time. And from Jesus forward is sun time. I understand what they mean. More and more is being revealed. But he's saying, you're going to have to do this by faith. Do you remember the Indiana Jones movie where they made a big deal of this? Faith. It was, it was a surprising Christian moment. There's a chasm. There's always a chasm in Indiana Jones. Every one of them. It's by law. But he had to walk across the chasm. Do you remember that scene? And it wasn't until he read that it had to be stepped out in faith. And he walked across an invisible, because it's Indiana Jones, they can do that. We have to do the same thing. I found that to be an amazing Christian moment in a movie. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they're going. Believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of light. When he'd finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. Ta-da! Like I said, he needed to be away. He hid. He actively hid. You ever done that? You ever had somebody come to the doorbell and you go under the window level? Yeah. I found that we moved to one new place and it seemed like every Saturday that uh, some religion or the other was knocking on our door. And I know a lot of people say, well, this is an opportunity to engage. How many do you convert at the door? Let's be honest, right? I found a way to stop it, in case you wondered. I drew a chalk outline of a body on my steps, and I scattered a few religious tracks. It ended it. It was over then. You know, there was a, ooh, we'll go on. Seriously, in, in one city we were in, we would watch them come down the street, and they would always skip our door. And we're going, I'm, I'm, I'm loaded, I'm ready, let's go. <laughs> I guess they don't even want me in their heaven. You know, so I, it, it was troubling. When light goes away, can you believe in the dark? I do believe Jesus is talking about this as well. When I'm gone, can you still believe I'm here? Groucho Marx once said, who are you going to believe, me or your own lion eyes? He was, of course... A rat, and, and in the movie, and maybe in real life, I don't know. Jesus is saying, you're going to have to believe in what you don't see because you've seen me. You've got a heads up on everybody else. Believe when you don't see. Yes, please.
Well, that's an interesting, interesting question. You know, going, going to a quiet place and focusing on your faith cannot be overdone. I have a couple of friends who are theologians, and they are my friends, and they are, they are wise and good men who strongly disagree with me on this point. So I need to let you know that, to be honest, all right? I don't think being a hermit does anybody any good. They would talk about the early desert fathers, they were called. Some lived on poles, some lived in caves, and, and yet the writings that they did and such. And I keep going, on the day of judgment, there's none of, the, Jesus never says, you went into a cave, and I really appreciated that. We go into our cave to get the strength to come out and do what we're supposed to do. If you go into the cave, if hiding yourself is the object of your life, you failed. If hiding yourself to give yourself strength and recovery time to go out and do the work, that's a success. So yes, I think you can engage in too much navel-gazing, it's called, and you can spend your life doing that, and it's not going to help you. certainly doesn't help the world. We, um, think of um, Buddha. Buddha left his wife and children to starve so that he could be quiet, left alone, and find enlightenment. If you've never read Siddhartha uh, or any of the, their scriptures, I have. I had to. They were assigned. Because back in my high school, we had to read hard stuff. And I, and, and I remember reading it. This guy's a jerk. Kept going, no, no, no. He's holy and he found enlightenment. If he found enlightenment, it would have been God kicking him in the side saying, get back there and feed your wife and kids. If your holiness is more important than other people's life, you've got a problem. Navel gazing is only done to give you strength to get back out. So, if I uh, hit the lotto, which would be really hard, because evidently you have to buy a ticket, but if, uh, if somebody hit the lotto and gave me the money, I know what one of my greatest temptations would be. I already know. The devil would say, you don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to talk to anybody. You just sit here and ignore. And I'm going, that's pretty sweet. It would be, I, I understand that, because that's, that's, he knows that spot. He knows that button to push. I've, uh, um, I've said this before, maybe not to this class or this church. I hope this doesn't make you think less of me. But one of the reasons, and you may wonder, why am I doing this job if I'm an introvert and uncomfortable in it? And I've got several answers for that. But you know one of the real ones that I don't share very often is that I'm a minister so that I'll be here. Some of you on a Sunday might wake up and go, you know, I'm almost about to begin to commence to start a little sniffle. I think I'll stay home. Or the Titans are winning and they have an early game. I'll do that instead. I don't have that option. I have to be here. One of the reasons I'm a minister is I know I need the discipline of being here. Now, if that makes you think less of me, at least you think less of me because you know me better. I've had people say, oh, we love you. I said, don't get close. Do not get close. Um, Jesus was here. He said, believe in the light while you've got him. And then he hid. Jesus, after Jesus, even after he'd performed so many signs in her presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. Lord, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe, because as Isaiah says elsewhere... I had one guy said, elsewhere, didn't he remember where it was? 
When the writer of John wrote this, there were not chapters and verses. So elsewhere is as specific as he can get. He had blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so that they could neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn, and I would heal them. What in the world? What does that sound like? That sounds like somebody's getting the blame for the unbelief. Who? Seems like God is, doesn't it? Again, Semitic language is a treat. God will take responsibility for not pursuing somebody. Think about Cain and Abel. Do you remember what he said about Cain in the New Testament? I've hated him, but I loved Abel. And we're going, well, no, 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 God, you didn't really mean that. <laughs> you need to go to Sunday school, God. They'll teach you how not to hate people, because that was just rude. God has a plan. I want to talk to you a little bit about that. I do not, I'm, not, I'm the exact opposite of a Calvinist. But God does pick people. And he does work through them and surprising people. I think I'm an exceptional example of that. How he, he does, you've heard before, he doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. You've heard that? That's very true. Uh, we are all broken bits of glass. But God can put us together and make a great mosaic. So it's a beautiful thing. God does pick. Why were you born in America? Why were you born knowing where it's safe to be a Christian? Why were you born in a family of believers? If you were. If you were. I am incredibly privileged. It bothers me now that that word has become a, you know, check your privilege and it means you're, you're white. Uh, that bothers me a bit. I, I don't think we need to be going down those roads. But I am privileged. I was born in a family of faith. It was a rough family, and it damaged me, but it still at least pointed me toward God before it kicked me in the rear end. All right? Anything from there on, the mistake is my own fault. Almost all of my wounds are self-inflicted. And yet, I'm still allowed to be a part of the church. I'm still allowed to walk with the disciples. We are really privileged. I can remember watching... Uh, BBC documentary. Uh, we were in Britain at the time. And I think I even talked to Cammie about this at the time. And we'd, we watched, uh, it's about a migrant group that lives in Iran. And they, they never are in the cities. They, uh, they keep to themselves. They move about. And they're the ones who weave rugs there. And once a year or something like that. I don't remember all the details. They do go into a market and sell those. But the little girls in there will never see anybody outside their tribe. The little boys will never hear anybody outside their tribe. And my thought is, how, how, that seems unfair. They'll never hear Jesus. It is impossible that they will ever hear the name of Jesus. What's, what's, I've now since learned to trust that God understands her situation. And in the book of Romans, if you read it real careful, it even says that people who live as if they have the law, even though they don't have the law, are considered more high by God than those that have the law and don't live like they had the law. He's going to take care of the little girl. I have no fear. I don't know all the mechanics of it, but I know God. Here, however, it looks like he has shut it down, saying, if you will not see, I won't let you see. We need to understand that there comes a point with God that you pushed him too far. 
and they had pushed him too far. He is going to watch his own son die. He knows it, and yet these people see the miracles and go, well, that's nice, but it's not enough. How would you react? I look upon this kind of as I look upon alcohol. Alcohol is an amazing thing, chemically. It really is. A glass of red wine, very, very good for you. Uh, Two glasses, maybe more than that. Uh Uh-uh. Why? Phenol. Phenol is the, the, um, the chemical in there. Phenol is good, 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 good poison. There is no in between. There's not a kind of poisony. You're kind of good for you. And, and finding that, that line, a lot, most people miss the line. This is, you can push God and push God, but he always says there is a day of wrath. There's a day where I turn away. What was the greatest um, curse in the Old Testament? It wasn't I will smite you. It is I will turn away from you. Had it. Done. You don't want that. Now, because humans are humans, I know that some people in the room are thinking, oh, I've already done that. If you'd already done that, you wouldn't be sitting here listening to this. He is still trying to reach you. But don't push him. Just... You know, I hear some comedians, I love comedy, but I've had to kind of quit listening to comedians. I've got an XM radio and it has comedy channels. Because, you know, after, the F word is not funny anymore, people. It never was, but if that's all you've got after all these years, and some of them make fun of God, and I'm going, oh my goodness, do not push God. Because he will push back, and you don't know when it is. Uh, I'll do this. It seems off topic, but it is not. I taught teenagers, and I said, you know what the worst possible thing that could ever happen to you is? They get really quiet. I said that you would sin, do the thing you fear doing, and not die. And he kind of looked at me. He said, let's do it this way. And I'll usually have something sitting there say, this is that thing, that thing which you're afraid to do because it's sinful, it's awful. It could be sex, drugs, or it doesn't, you know, taking over a small country, whatever it is. This is the thing you think, oh my goodness, that's awful. That is a big sin with a capital S, an underlined word, and we should never do that. And after a while, you go a little closer to it, a little closer, and you kind of touch it. I didn't die. I touched it, but I didn't die. I flirted a little bit. I walked around a little bit, sashayed some, and I didn't die. And then you do it, and you don't die. Why is that so horrible? Because you lose your fear of rebelling against God. You lose your fear of challenging the Almighty. And now you're in a very dangerous place. We moved into our house in Colorado. We heard some coughing down below us. Turned to my wife. It was in the middle of the night. Not middle of the night. Late at night. They don't have bugs at that altitude. So you can sit out in your deck with the light on, read, and have a great time. So we did heard some coughing noises, and I said, you know what that is? And she goes, no, and I said, that's a cougar. Now, we can all think about, how dangerous is that? Well, I'm inside. Eventually, I'm going to have to take the trash outside. And I did. First day we were moving in, a rattlesnake went right past us on the driveway. Then we were told that it used to be called Rattlesnake Ridge, is that what they, and we're going, that wasn't brought up by the realtor. That had been completely left off the brochure. 
every, the first couple months going out, I looked for cougar and, and snakes. I got to where I didn't look anymore. Why? Because I'd done it successfully. Now you're thinking, that's when I say I was attacked by a cougar that was holding a snake. No. <laughs> that's kind of a funny picture. Yeah. Um, no, the point is this. We get lax because we survived. You texted and you drove and you must be good at it. God says, don't push him. These people pushed too far and he said, I'm done. Yes. Yes. That's an excellent point. And I should have said that, John. Thank you. The ten plagues in Egypt, the first five says Pharaoh hardened his heart. The last five, God hardened his heart. He'd had his chances. He's done now. Remember, Jesus said there are sometimes you have to shake the dust off your feet and just walk away. Why? Because God's done there. Don't be the person God's done with. Always be open to the thin places, to the learning, to the growing, to the changing. Um, and you are. Or you wouldn't be at fourth, because that's really who we are, isn't it? I don't think anybody at fourth would say, this is what God likes, right? We're saying we're, we're following God wherever he goes. Let's just go. And so will there be changes? Obviously there will be. What will they be? I seriously do not have a clue. Because the Holy Spirit does not confide in me but we're just supposed to follow. If you don't, you get your heart hardened. Is it, oh, yes, Randy. So do I. Yes, it does. Yes, it is, rather. understand what you're saying. I, at, at 11.47, I can't start on the talk about hell. That's the problem here. And I don't mean to put you off, but I am because people have to get their babies. What I can do is talk. Um, I, I know those scriptures. And I think the question may come to your head, how can he know all those scriptures and have a different look than I have? I think that's a fair question. But we'll save that because we're not doing that. Remember I said we'll talk about hell later. I'm still sorting things out. I have written about it. If anybody wants I think it's like a 20-page PDF on what the language is there. I'd be happy to send that to you. And you can at least start with something concrete there. Fair enough. We're way late. I need to let you go. Cheerio.